Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Travis Streb. He's a life coach, an incredible leader in the community of Vancouver, and most importantly, this guy has an amazing story to tell all about how he biked up a mountain and down every day for a year. So sit back, buckle your seatbelts, and let's connect. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode. Um, This is really a cool episode because it was recorded in numerous places. Um, At the current time right now for this intro to the podcast, I'm sitting in downtown, well I don't know if it's really downtown, it's West Hollywood. Downtown West Hollywood, is that a thing? They call it WeHo, (laughs) West Hollywood, WeHo. And um, so I'm down here this week promoting my book and uh, interviewing some people for the podcast coming up um, in future episodes, and uh, also making my way down this week to Mexico in Baja, Mexico, where I'm going to be teaching yoga and meditation for a week at a place called Rancho La Porta. And if you haven't heard of this place, it's really worth checking out. It's an amazing wellness spa, one of the best in the world, and it attracts some incredible people. So um, I'm really looking forward to this week ahead. But uh, the the podcast that uh, an interview that I did was actually recorded in Vancouver a few weeks ago, and um, it's with this guy named Travis Streb, who is an incredible life coach and leader. He also um, hosts a podcast called Men at Work. And one of the things I really, really love about Travis is um, his awareness of wanting to bring men into deeper creative communication and growth and leadership in particular. Um, We we see a lot in the world right now, this rising up of women and uh, leadership within their community. And I think men are feeling inspired just as much to to do that work. I think we all are globally and collectively. So um, the conversation we had in Vancouver was really, really inspiring and talked a lot as well about... um, how to pay attention to the little things in life that actually have, in a lot of times, the most meaning to share with us, the most impact to share with us. So um, speaking of that, uh, yesterday here in in Los Angeles, I can't keep it straight, I was going to say in Vancouver, uh, yesterday in Los Angeles, I was interviewed on a, a morning show called Good Morning La La Land, and it's a really, really cool show that features up-and-coming thought leaders and artists and people that are making a difference on the planet. And um, it was in between segments, and I had to go outside and plug my, my meter for my rental car, and it was pouring rain. And right away, my, my inner critic came up and was like, oh, great, you're going to have to go outside, cross the street, and uh, get drenched in rain. So when you go back for the second segment of the TV show, you're going to look totally drenched and uh, out of place. So my mind was racing, um, but I, I had no choice because my meter was like totally expired. So I walked outside and walked to the corner where the street light was. And standing there at the street corner was this um, man who I believe may have been homeless. He was um, pushing this cart of I think goods and a sleeping bag and he was carrying an umbrella and so I jokingly stepped underneath the umbrella with him and he's like no come on man come on under the umbrella I want to I want to help keep you dry and I thought wow that's amazing and he proceeded to walk me all the way to my car held the umbrella for me while I was plugging my meter and then he left all of his stuff and he said here let me let me help you across the street and he he somehow cleared all the traffic out of the way and said, here, hold the umbrella. You hold the umbrella. And together we walked across the street, jaywalking illegally, but still it was like miraculous. It was like the seas parting. And um, somehow I was able to stay dry the whole time. And he, he kept saying, you know it, you know it. And it was, it honestly was like God appeared in my path in that moment. Um, I, I turned around to thank him and he was gone. And it was just one of those beautiful moments that was so unexpected and if I hadn't trusted my gut and paid attention and took the risk to go underneath this man's umbrella, I would have missed out in encountering God, that place of awe. Um, these little miracles are around us all the time if we're paying attention. And for me yesterday, that was one of them. And I just uh, I wanted to share that story before I get into the interview with Travis because it was really moving and I think it sets it up well for what Travis discovered when he was biking up a mountain and down every day for a year. It's incredible. Um, 
So let's, uh, without further ado, get on to the conversation with Travis Streb. So I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Uh, here's Travis. Okay, I'm in a downtown office that we're borrowing for the next little bit, and I'm here with Travis Streb. Thank you for being on the podcast. It's uh, good to be able to host you here in this fine city. Yeah, this is quite the place. I love it. Well, you got to be here in January when it was 10 degrees and sunny. I know. Um, is, is that it happens right? every January. Does it really? <laughs> no. In Vancouver? <laughs> no. I was out jogging at the park. I was like, this is an amazing place to live in January. Yeah. Um, I actually went for a swim on Sunday with my family. You so. went for an outdoor swim? Yeah, we went and sw- swam in the ocean. So, Are you kidding me? No, we do it on a really consistent basis and it was it was a big full moon oh wow and so we did it so many pieces coming together there were yeah (laughs) amazing that was a that was a pretty intense day were you wearing like a wetsuit no 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 i mean we you know we wear a bathing suit because it's a public beach but that's it wow it's warm enough to swim in the ocean in vancouver in january you got to build up to it this is quite amazing (laughs) well i thought i was crazy so and people have said that that I'm crazy. And there's, you know, there's like some biohacking stuff about, you know, cold therapy. It just really feels good. So I, I'm here like, well, this is pretty, pretty insane. I'm swimming in the ocean in, you know, the Northwest in January. So last week, um, I don't even, it was on Saturday morning. I went up to meet with some friends for a bike ride and we meet right near this bridge by a river. Huh. And we're, you know, hanging out, waiting for one more guy to show up. And this man in his fifties, like emerges from the depths of the river. <laughs> what? Yeah. And he, wow. He's just wearing shorts. And we start having this whole conversation about the benefits of cold therapy. And he's standing there in his swim shorts. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> when I do this, I'm not standing around. Like I'm like, get me the towel. Like, in and out. Yeah. Time yeah. to go home. Uh, wow. So That's there incredible. are, there's all, there's like always a different level of crazy, Keith. Yeah. No, well, speaking of crazy, I mean, I, I think we should just dive right in here. Yeah is I want to hear all about this biking excursion and um, fundraiser that you put together a few years ago. Because when I first heard about you, I looked you up online and I was blown away to hear that you were cycling up a mountain daily. Can you just share a little bit about this? It's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was the 2017. It feels like a distant memory. I'm no longer riding up that mountain every day. But it, it, um, it struck me at the end of 2016 that it, we were... Um, we're coming up to this great time. So I'm, I'm part of a cycling club in Vancouver called Glotman Simpson Cycling. And our mission is to, we're riding bikes with the mission to help cure pancreatic cancer. Wow. And the idea behind it is there are so few survivors from the disease that someone has to be there to raise money. And so we've had a huge amount of success. And every year in August, when it's really nice out, we host this bike ride called the Cypress Challenge. And we invite people from anywhere to come and ride up Cypress Mountain together. Wow. And it's a, it's a great fundraiser and we've raised all kinds of money. So I said, well, I want to amplify that. So I'm a very avid cyclist and I've been a racer. And I said, well, why don't I commit to riding? Let's pick a, a number. And I ended up with a million feet of vertical. So if I wow. ride a million feet of vertical, that would be a big accomplishment to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the Cypress Challenge and to just generate lots more awareness. Oh my gosh, that's so ambitious. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, then I did the math and I realized that it was, it was doable, but barely. Hmm. And it was going to require that I ride up um, Mount Seymour, which is like almost a thousand meters up from where I live. And I have to do it once every single day for the entire year. What? That is a commitment, man. Well, it it was, <laughs> and part of it, um, part of it was just like you know, shoot first and ask questions later, and or ready, fire, aim. And I just went for it. I had no, didn't have a website, didn't have a platform. I let the club know and the board, and just try to generate interest. Wow. Well, 2017 in in the in Vancouver was a that was a record year for cold and snow oh great and so the <laughs> great very timing. yeah <laughs> so january 1st here i am and it had snowed the night before i i literally could not even ride up the mountain i didn't even try i wasn't able to get my first full ascent of mount seymour until january 7th of 2017 and it was minus 10 at the top 
I know you're from Winnipeg, which doesn't feel cool, well, but I when it's imagine. minus 10 on and, a bike? and then you're going 50 kilometers an hour down the hill. Oh yeah. That's, that, that's yeah. Winnipeg weather. Right no, there. I didn't have a, I didn't have a car to drive me down the hill. So, um, wow. so the, it was a, it was a beautiful fundraiser. I ended up raising uh, about $15,000 for the cause and got lots of coverage. And when I was done, I was done. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. How, like, what's it like to, um, get in the mindset of doing that every day. I mean, when I think about just uh, getting up and going for a jog daily or doing my yoga practice daily, like that's a, that's a challenge. But to actually bike up a mountain every day, how did you get in the mindset to do that every day on the days that you didn't, you, you wake up, you're like, oh, I got to bike a mountain today. I don't want to do that. Like, how did you get the mindset to do it? It, it was all about consistency. Huh. So I didn't turn it into this big thing. So in essence, I had a routine. I would leave my home, which is very close to the bottom of the mountain. Yeah. And I would go drop my bag, in essence, in the woods my, my, with all my clothing for the day. I'd put it in the woods at the bottom of the mountain. And I would ride, say, halfway up. Huh. And then I'd get into work, have a shower, to go through my day, ride home, go back to the same spot, drop my bag once again, and go up maybe halfway. Wow. Because you think those days are short right? So January, February, your short days. Yeah. Your light is like limited. But the key for me was just to keep doing it. And I was actually quite behind by the time March came around. Like you'd missed a few days? Well, I, I was behind as far as like, if I wanted to hit a million, I I wasn't on pace. So, but I knew the days were going to get longer and the weather was going to get better and it did. And then I had days where I would on the weekend, maybe ride up like four or five times in how one long, day. How long does one trip take up and down? It was like an hour and a, an hour and 15. Wow. So yeah. you would do that consistently on certain days, like two or three, four times. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. It took a toll on my family for sure. I can imagine like your time at home must have been quite limited. <laughs> yeah. And I was traveling for work, which made it tough. So I had to, I had to adapt. So for instance, I was traveling to Winnipeg quite often. Oh. And so I stayed at the Alt Hotel, oh, which yeah. is, the, I believe, very the tallest familiar. hotel um, and a very reliable staircase. Oh, yeah. So I would climb stairs in the morning. <laughs> to get the vertical thing Yeah. Going? Okay, wow. Yeah. It very was very creative. Yeah, it, uh, yeah. I mean, it, but it was all consistency. Like those days, like, I, you, know, you don't get much. If you go up and down the Alt, I don't know, it, I, it was like 40, 40 meters high. <laughs> well, if you want to get a thousand meters that's a lot of stair climbing yeah and then a lot of awkward elevator rides where you're super sweaty and there's all these business people (laughs) wearing their suits (laughs) yeah they're probably just looking at you what is this guy doing running Um, up and down the stairs so but it was all the consistency piece like just every day just chip away and that's amazing i'm I'm thinking about a quote from the Tao Te ching that says the journey of a thousand miles or the vertical of a million whatever's is is one step at a time and I'm very inspired by the fact that you just stuck to that one step at a time in order to accomplish the goal, which is quite rare these days when we get so shiny object and we get pulled out of our, our focus, our main focus. Um, I mentioned earlier that uh, in the intro that you're a coach as well. You do a lot of work with, with people one-on-one and with companies and leadership. Um, d- what's that like for you in terms of uh, focus for people and consistency? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's a good lesson. Uh-huh. Um, I think the untold story of, of that challenge, and, and I'll get back to the coaching piece and how it relates, but is we're often goal chasing. Yeah, we and are. And this is especially true for men. I do a lot of coaching with men. And I fell into that trap with the challenge, with riding up that mountain. Mm-hmm. And I set the goal, and it felt really good to be in it. And at, around... September, I knew I was going to hit it. It was like, unless there was a, you know, had a major injury or something. And on December 31st of 2017, I rode up the mountain for the last time in the year. And I had, you know, accomplished the goal. And I remember feeling nothing. At the end? Yeah. Really? What was I that? Didn't, I didn't feel good. Huh. I didn't feel bad. I was just like, okay, so... Like a neutral feeling. Now what? Now what? And why is that? And I... Well, I mean, now that I reflect back on it, it's, it's a trap of doing that we all, 
I think will fall victim to at some point in our lives. Yeah. And I know it's especially a trap for men where it's like, well, we're accomplishing, achieving, and it's all good. We want to achieve things and want to do nothing. Yes. Yet it was, it's that, that act of being while you're doing that really matters. And I reflect back on some of the rides I took and I don't even remember them mm. because I was just so focused on just get to the top. I mean, one day I rode up 10 times in a single day and it was a, it was a monumental experience, but it wasn't an experience. It was just an accomplishment. And so that's the work that I bring to the coaching. I think that's the lesson. It was a lesson for me and it's a lesson that I'm trying to impart on other people. Wow. As you know, I mean, you work with executives as well as a coach most of them are achieving very well. Oh, yeah. When Absolutely. you reach that level, you've, you've achieved a lot. Yeah. And so then, well, what next? Well, right. what next is to go deeper and yeah. to understand what's your way of being and are you really living on purpose? And I, I believe that's important. So I, d I don't mean to characterize the ride as like, oh, well, I, j I felt nothing. It was a waste. Yeah. But it was more that I got stuck in that trap of achievement. Right. It's just becomes sort of this surface level treadmill that you're on where you're just, what's next? What's next? And there's never, it's like missing the meaning, the depth. So powerful. Wow. So when you're working with people, either as a coach or just even in your own journey of this, um, how have you found uh, the entryway into like more meaning in everything that you are doing? How do you practice that? How do you connect to that? Well, I mean, it's, I miss a lot. You miss a lot. Yeah. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I, I'm not doing it every time I'm riding my bike, you know, a hundred percent mindful of what's going on, but right. it's moment to moment. Uh -huh. And I, that's, that's where I believe the impact happens is it's, it's moment to moment. Are you connecting with what you're doing? Are you connecting with why you're doing it? Are you connecting with the people around you, with the world around you? Mm -hmm. Or are you just kind of floating on the surface? Yes. And I, I believe that in every moment we, we do have this beautiful choice. I'd say maybe I'm 10% better at it now. Huh. There's lots of times where I'm still floating. You know, I'm sitting on the bus, like, you know, staring at my phone, doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Other times I'm like, wait, I don't need to look at Instagram right now. Right. There's this, there's a moment in front of me. And I, I, that, that depth, I believe, is what a lot of people are seeking. Yeah. And, and it applies in the, in the corporate world. It's like, are we really, truly being present? Yeah. Yeah. Are we tuned in with what's going on around us? Are we tuned in with why we're here and what we're doing? And not that we need to get, you know, go into the depths of our soul to attend a business meeting. <laughs> right. But there is something about a depth of presence that matters. Absolutely. I, you know, I'm thinking about even just in my own practice and how sometimes I can get quite lazy in terms of, it, like, it, it seems like it can take work to bring the meaning into every single moment. And there's, there's so many times where I want to check out. And maybe that's because I've been coaching all day or I've done a talk and I'm just, like, totally burnt out. I'm like, oh, I just want to <laughs> check out. I just want to, like, you know, put on the Netflix or go on my phone and scroll Instagram feeds or just chill. And I, I think it's a, quite a common thing that a lot of us feel that way. Um, is that a bad thing, in your opinion? What's your thoughts on that? Nothing inherently is good or bad. Uh. It's, it's just behavior. Right. The question is, what's it serving? Yes. I had this interview last week on my cast, the Men at Work podcast. I talked to um, a great teacher, David Gomes. Oh, wow. Vancouver here. Okay. And he had this powerful question. He's like, you know, with whatever you're doing, are you serving life? Wow. And so part of that is if you need to go and scroll your Instagram feed, which I do all the time, I'm not saying I don't look at Instagram or I don't need to veg out, go for it. But is that what's like, is it, is it six hours a day that maybe that's too much? Yeah. If you're doing it with the, okay, I need to do this to recharge and my Instagram feed's going to recharge me. Yeah. Great. Or Netflix. Great. But really questioning, am I doing this because I'm trying to numb out? And I don't want to experience what's happening in the world. And it, this is especially common for men. Yeah. Or am I doing it because I need this? Yeah. And I think that's where we need to be distinguishing. I'm thinking of the word intention or like consciousness, like some of these words where it's like the meaning and the purpose behind why you're doing what you're doing is really important to be constantly in check with. 
and I love what you're saying that it's not just good or bad. It's like, but it's being present to like, why am I doing the action that I'm doing? Very powerful. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm blown away the insight you had around the biking up the mountain every day. And then finally kind of the aha at the end of it of like, you know, you're missing smelling the flowers or seeing the trees on the way up because you just got to get somewhere. Um, I don't know about you. I have, <laughs> I was raised in a family where, and I love my dad to death, but I remember going on family road trips where we'd be driving from Winnipeg to Vancouver and my mom would be like, let's stop and like, you know, go see this tourist thing. My dad's like, nope, we just got to get to the destination. We got to get somewhere. Um, it, it seems like, I mean, not to stereotype too much here, but it seems like it's quite embedded in a, a male kind of perspective that we have to just get from A to B. And there's no kind of in-between. And that B will give us something. Yes, and that B's going to actually, yeah, yeah B's going to actually give us whatever it is, the reward. Uh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. I, there's a, you know, a couple things I want to touch on. I mean, the, the biking one's a big one because I still, I cycle a lot. Uh-huh. For me, that's, that's a lot of how I recharge. Yes. Well, I, gotta, I have to also ask myself, am I biking to, get to numb out? to disappear because I don't want to deal with what's going on or am I biking because it's really bringing me joy and it's, you know, something I want to be doing. Oh yeah. Well, my, the way that I, I, the way that I cycle now is far more conscious because of that year that I spent riding up a hill like a crazy person trying to achieve. Hmm. So now for instance, a simple thing, I'm not really so much focused on A to B. There's a, there's, I have the option at the end of my bike ride when I get home most nights to either take the first right and just go straight home or literally take three extra minutes and ride my bike around the community of Deep Cove, which is on the water mm. in a beautiful setting. And that's what I choose to do. <laughs> Sounds amazing. So it, it's, and it's not that I'm trying to get more miles in. I'm actually riding way less, like way less than I ever used to, but I'm taking the time to appreciate what I'm doing and to be conscious of what I'm doing. Oh, that's so powerful. The yeah. road trip one though is, is huge. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, my dad was more about like, how can we make sure we have good gas economy? So we, we would drive from Vancouver to <laughs> right. Kelowna, which is like, I don't know how far it is four 400 and something kilometers and he's like, well, 80 is about the, the number you want to be going to really get good gas mileage. And he used to keep this notebook in the, in the, um, the sun visor when like track his gas economy. This is oh, know, wow. back with the <laughs> old classic. Astro van. Yeah. But it's true. We were always focused on A to B. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm the same way. I was always like, yeah, let's just, we got, let's just drive as fast as we can and get there. Yes. And then this summer I took my daughter on a road trip. She's eight. It was a surprise road trip. And we didn't really know like we had nowhere to get to oh wow we like knew you didn't have a destination well, we had a final destination we we're like we're going to get to this town called invermere which is about a thousand oh, kilometers I, we know it very well Love Invermere, that. Yeah. beautiful beautiful city we're going to visit my cousin but we didn't have to be there on a certain date mm. and my, the goal was like spontaneous like to have fun to have an adventure oh wow so we i just drove we left it early in the morning. We dropped my wife off at work and we just hit the highway before the traffic. And we went the, we went the slow way. We ran around the crow's nest highway and it was, I'd never even stopped to think we always, you just drive the Coquihalla highway in BC and it's fast and not super scenic. Yeah. It's the A to B. Yeah. <laughs> we drove the crow's nest when, when my daughter Paige, when she woke up, I just said, Hey, what do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to get some breakfast? She's like, yeah. So we just pulled over and Got some, and it was the whole trip was just like that. Wow. It was like, do you want to swim at this place or that? Yeah. And it, it's amazing how transformative that experience was for both of us. For yeah. me, it was getting out of the A to B. And for her, it was, oh, I actually can just do what we want to do. That is amazing. Yeah. And, you know, to give ourselves permission to actually do that, as opposed to thinking we're on some trajectory that we've got to achieve or accomplish. Like, there's so much value in that. Um Last night, I was actually reading somebody's post that kind of was speaking in the terms of, um, they said, sometimes the most creative ideas come when you're not, well, you're not trying. You're just, you're just simply like doing nothing. And I'm wondering if you, you experienced that in, in this approach, like where it just new ideas pop in or new awareness pops in because you're not so focused on this end result. Yeah, I, they, it does. And it's, it's, it happens. Um, 
And funny enough, it happens often for me when I, when I'm either on a, on a walk or on a bike ride or, or doing something and then I stop doing the thing. Oh, so wow. for instance, I'll, I now make a habit of, there's this beautiful spot along the river where I ride my bike and I'd usually just stop just out of habit now because I want, as soon as I stop, I have nothing to do necessarily. I'm not checking my phone. Yeah. I just stop and things they do, they, they come to me, they appear. I absolutely essence. love that strategy of just stop, like just wherever, whatever the routine is, stop and check in, be, pay attention. Wow. <laughs> that's well, mind blowing. I, I think that's the, like, that's the, um, as you know, my teacher calls it, that's the yoga of life. Like, and so it's not about, it's, it's not necessarily about getting it right all the time. I mean, most poses never really end. Right. It's constantly somewhere to go in them when yeah. you're doing yoga for sure. But if, if you can just be in it and be where you're at, that's, that's, I think the beauty of it. Huh. You know, something popping up for me right now as we're talking is I'm also thinking about how, um, hard we are on ourselves like with our thinking, I talk a lot about this whole idea of the saboteur, but our thinking, our mindset, um, for a lot of us, it's like this conditioned belief that we're not good enough, we need to keep up. There's almost like this comparing, my, this, this whole thing. I mean, it's kind of an epidemic in, in my brain that so many of us are living this way. Um, I'm curious from you, just your perspective on that and how this strategy of um, bringing more depth might be helpful. I mean, to me, depth is all that we're really seeking. And I, I think we used to, maybe we used to have more depth. I don't know. We often want to hearken back to the good old days. I don't know if we did, but I believe that's the secret. And I, I talked to, um, again, I, you know, referencing David Gomes here from my, one of my podcast episodes. And we both were talking about how many how many um, new ideas are coming out, but a lot of it's just recycled. Hmm, it's true. And so can you take hmm. a concept and go deep with it? Even, even in your world, you know, the basic meditative breath, you could take it and go as deep as you want. It could be the only thing that you practice. And I, I think there's something to it, especially on the comparison piece. Say more on that. So the, like the comparison thing, it happens all the time. It happens for me. I mean, you and I sat down to do this podcast. You take out this super high tech looking <laughs> recording <laughs> device. Right. And I'm like, oh, all I have are these kind of lapel mics I got off Amazon. Uh-huh. And immediately I'm going, well, I guess, I guess that's why, you know, Keith's podcast is so good. And I'm, I wonder if I'm going to be good. Really? Kidding? And, I'm, and I'm over yeah. here thinking, oh my God, men at work, what an amazing concept for a podcast. Mine's called Let's Connect. It's so broad. Like yeah. we're in our heads just constantly. Uh, all the time. Right? Yeah. It's, and it's unspoken a lot of times where we just kind of silence it. And a, and, a lot, and a lot of that is made worse by the fact that we have the ability to compare all the time. Now, you and I are meeting in person. Obviously, I'm you know, comparing recording equipment. Fine. <laughs> right. But in we, podcasts. We, yeah, yeah. We do it all the time. And it's, I, I think especially on social media. Oh, it's yeah. A, it's a problem. And I think about it in, um, in a big way with my daughters. Mm. Like I have two daughters. Um, one is 12. She's in grade seven. The other one is eight. And my eight-year-old doesn't have social media certainly but we my wife and i decided last year that my older daughter could have instagram whoa <laughs> and i don't i mean it's it's extremely limited we she's not, she's not allowed to add anybody unless we you know we see it it's we've we've done some of the things you're supposed to do uh-huh. and yet i know what i do on instagram which is go on there and look and go oh man like this guy's podcast is doing way better or wow, this guy's a really deep men's oh. coach. I, I can't believe it. No, I should be just yes. compare. And I wonder what is the malleable mind of a 12 year old doing with all that comparison? What have you found just watching your daughter in that world of it? I've I'm, I'm freaked out. Yeah. And I'm thinking seriously about really pulling that back uh-huh. because and, you know, there's there's research on it that that says it's not good. Jonathan Haidt's done some really really good research on it. Um, and there's just this sense that I have that this is not the thing a teenage girl needs in her life. It's more comparison, because there's in in my view, um, having never been a teenage girl, 
but having grown up with two sisters, there's nobody who's more hard on themselves than the teenage mind. Yeah. And especially for girls. Yes. They tend to inflict pain, you know, on, in that, that mental way, whereas boys can generally be more physical. And so social media, that's what they play to. Yeah. And not that it's evil, but that there's a, there's a part of it that can be damaging. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm finding like we're in this time right now, as you're, you're just bringing up so many things that I've been thinking about. Um, we're in this time right now too, where like choice is so crucial and it's so easy. Like we were talking earlier to check out, but when we do um, unconsciously check out and, and just get, I guess, inundated with things like our social media feeds and the comparison, and we don't even realize it's happening. Like it's happening under the surface. So Mentally, we're just like, oh, well, this is just what it is, and we accept it, and we don't realize there's a choice underneath. There's something quite crazy, even right now in this time we're living in, where it's like, it's, it feels like it's an epidemic. I mean, I, I can guarantee if you walk down the street and ask people what they're really thinking, a lot of times it's like this comparing, it's the I'm not good enough, it's like this complete conditioned culture of it. We were talking earlier before the podcast about just how um, the, this epidemic as well of feeling alone in the world where somehow it's harder and harder to actually have a deep, meaningful relationship or connection with people, maybe because we're so checked out. I mean, what's your perspective on this? Like, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think it depends. I mean, Vancouver is, has got the reputation for it and the Vancouver foundation, uh, you know, one of their most recent pieces of research, my friend Evan turned me on to said that loneliness is the number one social issue we should be looking at as a city. Wow. What what's causing it? I don't have the expertise on that at all. And I my my view though is individually that we actually have the ability to become masters of our own awareness. Oh wow! And so when we can when we become aware of where we're placing our awareness, <laughs> so that's a you know it's a bit I, of a leap. Yeah, that's where the magic happens. Because then you start to realize what the narrative is. And it's going to keep playing. Yes. It's, it still plays. And it's, people are like, oh, I got to reprogram. And yeah, there's like the element of reprogramming. But it's about being, becoming a master of your own awareness. My teacher talks about this all the time. And when you, when you do that, and you start to realize you can place your awareness on different things, on different ideas, on different thoughts, that's where real growth happens. And I... Now, I think the challenge is that that might mean, I don't know if that means more social connection or not, but I believe that's the first step Yeah, is becoming a master of your awareness. And there are lots of practices to get there. Yeah. Aware of where you're placing your awareness keeps resounding in my brain. I'm just like, what a powerful way to think about that. And I, I love that you're naming too, that this narrative, which I would call the saboteur or the inner critic it's going to constantly play and it's not a matter of just not getting rid of it, but noticing like that awareness piece of it so that we can actually make the choice in the present moment of like, where am I going? (laughs) Why is this happening? And man, it's like, it can be quite painful to like, to, to name it and vulnerable. And I mean, I've, I've on your podcast, which has just started about men at work. I mean, this seems to be I think it's universal, but as men, like to admit that we have this inner critic that's telling us things that it's quite vulnerable. Well, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting topic, right? Absolutely. Because the, my entry point to it was actually through a woman named Brenda Allen, who I also interviewed on my, on my cast. And she, when I met her was working on women's leadership programs Hmm. and now she didn't invent the concept, but she talked about the idea of the crow about how women have this this crow on their shoulder, in essence, you know, talking them down. Mm. And it's a bit like that saboteur. It's like, oh, you shouldn't do this. Like, you're not ready for this. Or, mm-hmm. And what I have found, and I, I looked at it, I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a women's leadership issue. <laughs> and there are many. There are, you know, many unique circumstances women face. That idea of the saboteur or the crow is just as common in men. I think so. I find it in, I see it all the time in my coaching I see it in my men's group. You know, you have conversations with men that have, you know, just even a little bit of depth. Yeah. Everyone is feeling it. Yeah. Except, you know, the ones that are too arrogant to admit it, but they're still feeling it. Yes. Yeah. And it comes out in language and behavior. And I think that it's the unspoken. And if we're not aware, it's like, it totally 
affects everything. It separates us as opposed to deepens us, as you're saying, into that awareness, that place of love. Wow. <laughs> so powerful. This is crazy. I am... Um, I wanted to ask you about your teacher just briefly. I'm curious. You keep referencing your teacher. Yeah. So, well, who I have that? a... So, John Wineland is um, okay. you know, the man who I call my teacher. He's a men's, men's coach and relationship coach based yeah. in L.A. And, uh, yeah. Um, you know, his lineage of David Data is, you know, also something I follow. And he he is an embodiment coach. Mm. And that's where my real edge is is around embodying these things because, uh, and I think it's especially, this is again, especially true for men is we're very good at intellectualizing concepts Mm -hmm. and rationalizing our way through things. And the rubber hits the road when you actually have to experience things in your body. And to feel. So for instance, leadership development, right? It's a field that you and I both work in. How many books are there on leadership development? I mean, Oh, you go to the store, it's like stacks. yeah. Yeah. And not like, they have merit, uh-huh. but if, if, if books, if we were able to solve, you know, have really good leadership by intellectualizing it, well, we'd all be amazing leaders. We'd have, we'd be surrounded by these, you know, wonderful, loving leaders that built these, you know, beautiful cultures and organizations. Yeah. And we're not. In fact, it's so sparse, really good leadership, whether you're, in a, you know, a, a leading from the front, the middle, the side, whatever, the back. And so it's about really embodying it. And wow. that's depth. <laughs> I, have, I love the idea of, of practicing what you preach or what you're intellectualizing. And um, there's a lot of people that talk it, but don't, don't actually walk it or live it. I mean, um, I have <laughs> so many stories of it. I'm not going to name names, but myself included. It's like, um, it's easy to, to think about these things, but to actually start embedding them. Um, what are some practices that you found helpful to actually drop out of the intellectual and go, okay, I'm actually going to start living this. Is there anything that you could like offer here that you do regularly to, to start feeling into the, the experience as opposed to just thinking about it? Yeah, there's, there's, there's specific practice and then there's moment to moment practice. Okay. So my specific practice is it's a morning thing. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. But I have a, a routine that I do in the morning. I sit on my back deck, which it's covered. It rains a lot in Vancouver, but it's seldom too cold to go out there. And I'll do 20 to 30 minutes of what I'm calling breath work. Hmm. So I'm not just sitting there in you know, a typical yogic stance and you know, just breathing and seeing what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a practice I follow that would involve um, different breaths, maybe some through the mouth, some through the nose, some are deeper, some are not. Wow, and it's yeah, the origins are in you know pranayama, uh, kundalini yoga, and even just things I've picked up from my teacher John, and so those those are the things I would do to get myself ready for a day to make sure that my nervous system is ready to handle whatever the day is going to throw at me, hmm. and then moment to moment. The practice is even now in this podcast, it's becoming aware. It's like, am I breathing? Am I really actually breathing into my diaphragm? Am I tense anywhere? Yeah. Can I take a second and drop into my body and get out of, you know, kind of my head, as yeah. it were? And, yeah. I, and that's the moment-to-moment practice. Now, am I doing that every five seconds? Not at all. It's like <laughs> when I become aware of it. And I think this is the hard part where it's like people are, they're like, well, I, I'm going to meditate and I'll become enlightened. And maybe... Yeah. But that's going to take a heck of a long time. But what if you can just get 10% better? Right. What if you can just one out of every 10 times start to go, oh my gosh, I'm not really breathing properly. Oh yeah. Or wow, like my, my hands are really clenched up right now. Or man, I'm like gripping my knee as I'm talking to you, Keith. Why? And just to let that not be. And that's the moment to moment practice. Mm. You know, I've been told too that like our physical body is holding all of our memory and it's um, some people that refer to as the unconscious mind, so to speak, and our memories stored there and our feelings and our emotions. And it's very telling um, in the mindfulness framework that I've been working with. Just what you're referencing here is like in my framework is just like um, the conscious mind starting to pay attention to the physical body because there's so much wisdom in the physical body that I think we've neglected a lot of us for, for eons. 
And I, I sense this movement and this shift happening in the world to paying more and more attention to the physical, to the, the feelings. We kind of have to because we're so up in our brain. And uh, so as you're talking about this, I'm just like so fired up because I'm like, yeah. And this morning I was doing a, a morning show and I, I don't know if you've done quite a bit of, st- I've seen you on these talk shows too. Like there's kind of this feeling like there's not enough time on those shows. Have you experienced where they're, they give you like a three minute segment and you've got to get out all your wisdom and look really smart and say the right things. And they're like, oh, we're out of time. <laughs> it's like my whole body was just like super tense. Um, when that was happening. And I feel like we're in this culture of like these unspoken memes of like not enough time, not enough money, not doing good enough, fear-based. And all of a sudden our body just gets shut down. So what you're referencing here in terms of like breath work, in terms of actually reconnecting to the present, like brilliant. Is there like, could you just, I know there's some listeners that are going to ask about this. Um, When you say breath work, what does that actually look like? to get into the body? Like, can you just walk us through a, a, like a specific practice of what you would do in the morning? Something. Sure. Yeah. Be helpful. Um, there's an easy one that okay. anybody can do, even if you're sitting in your office chair doing whatever you're doing. Uh-huh. And it's a, it's a, you know, Kundalini or Pranayama breath through the nose and it's called breath of fire. Okay. It's an equal inhale and exhale through your nose. So, and it's, it can be quick. So it might be, There's okay. not really a wrong way to do it necessarily as long as it's equal inhale and exhale. Close your eyes and do that for a minute. Huh. Do you, and ask yourself, do you feel more clear? Do you feel more present? Do you feel more in your body? Chances are, even if it's just 1% more, yes. Now, my, my morning practice might involve me doing that for three or four minutes and then doing one that's through the, through, through the mouth instead of the nose. So you could do the O mouth and the same breath. So it's and you could do it heavier or you could not equal inhale exhale yeah there's and this stuff this this you know breath work it's not mystic you're literally filling your body with air and pushing it into places that it hasn't been for a long time yeah and i think that's the part where people get hung up like well it's this mystical thing's not breathing is it's that's all we are yeah breath is life when that when breath is done so are we. And so getting in tune with it and doing it in different ways can be really helpful. Um, and it's, this wisdom has been around for thousands of years. This isn't like there's a, this new breathwork thing. I mean, Wim Hof has made, has made his breathing technique famous. Well, it's founded in, in pranayama. Mm-hmm. So, and not that, you know, Wim Hof's amazing and I love doing his practice. He's an inspirational person. Yeah. And we don't need to dig in um, necessarily to a whole bunch of brand new stuff and we don't need to biohack our way to do it. Totally. Wow. That's so inspiring to talk to somebody, another man about this. It's just really awesome and yeah. encouraging. I, uh, you know, I just want to say one thing that's popping up. I've got to ask you too. I mean, you're, you're a dad and, um, I, I get the sense you bring a lot of mindfulness into your life as best you can. Uh, I had a parent yesterday reach out to me and ask how do like there's, she couldn't really find any, books on mindful parenting that were resonating with her. Um, but I just, I just wanted to ask because I, I guess she'll probably be listening on this. Like, w- do you have any suggestions on how to raise children with this mindset and this, this philosophy and this way of being? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. My, my daughters are probably my greatest teachers. Um, huh. and because they, I see so much of myself in them and it triggers me all the time. And so I have a very difficult time staying conscious or let's say staying aware of my own awareness when I'm around them. Huh. So my, like the, there are, and there are, you know, there are books out there on conscious parenting and there's, you know, if you search the hashtag on Instagram, you probably find all kinds of stuff. It, that, I don't know if it needs to be that complicated. If you're, if you're trying to place your awareness on your child and what's happening for them, that ought to be enough to guide you as far as what should happen next. Often when we're parenting, we're just self-referencing and we're thinking about what's going on for us and what we would like to have happen because we can kind of control our kids for a time. Hmm. And so it's more about what's going on for them 
placing your awareness on them and then acting from there. Wow. And it's... Love it. I I would, you know, again, it's one of those 10% things where I'm like, maybe I'm getting 10% better at it now. But I know with, especially with my, with my younger daughter, with my eight-year-old, the feedback she gives me happens all the time and it happens through her body. And sometimes it's like, she just wants to, she just wants to be played with. She wants to play. Mm. So I'm like, oh, well, I'm, and I'm not very good at playing because I'm a grown up. And <laughs> there comes that inner yeah, narrative. Yeah. What do I do? Well, one of the practices that I was given is like, well, just, you know, pick her up, throw her over your shoulder, dance around a bit. And I do that with her on a regular basis. And it's amazing how much, how she will turn. I can take a mood of hers that's, you know, less than enthused or a little sour and play with it. Wow. Not poke fun at it. Yeah. Play with it. Pick her up throw over my shoulder we'll do a little dance in the living room and it's like 30 seconds and she's a different person oh it's so beautiful and she actually asks me she's like can we do the thing i'm like (laughs) the thing she so she her she knows in her body that she's she's like i'm kind of feeling low or great and not that you have to turn every mood into a good one but recognizing that with my older daughter it's way harder really what makes it harder with her because she i want her to do things I want her to be achieving, right? And I'm constantly thinking, like, is she doing enough? And oh yeah, and and, and it's like, wait a second, that's that's my own tape, right? I'm just projecting my own shit. Sorry, my own stuff <laughs> okay. on her. Yeah, and that's like that. To, that my practice for her is just to let it be, not to let her scroll Instagram all day. Of course not, right? But to go, this is her journey. You know, her and I are working on a project right now that I have helped direct. Um, it's a, a project we're doing because um, <laughs> she's really bored at school. And she's not getting enough. And so I said, well, let's, why don't we do something? And so I, you know, did what I did. I'm like, well, why don't you listen to this great podcast I listened to? <laughs> and I made her listen to it. Yeah. Um, and now I've said, well, what, like, what new thinking has it inspired in you? But part of me is like, I want her to do something. Uh-huh. I'm like, why don't you, you know, start a blog or, and I have to let go of that. And right. that to me is about being conscious of what her journey is and her path yeah. and have, being there at the edges to help steer. Oh yeah. But not to go do a blog about, you know, making the world a better place and that will be a great project. Like, <laughs> right. She's like, she's so uninterested <laughs> in that. I think that's a common struggle for parents is, is this idea that we somehow have to like, like we are responsible for our kids and they've got to somehow be a certain way that we want them to be. And uh, Khalil Gibran, who wrote this book called The Prophet, mm-hmm. talked about this idea that your children come through you, but not for you. And what you're referencing here sounds a lot like that, that idea of allowing things to be what they need to be without over-interference, where you're forcing your own agenda when it's not necessary. I mean, there's probably yeah. discipline issues that at times, right? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, but again, your, yeah, co- your yeah. awareness, your consciousness about conscious parenting that way, powerful. I, you know, I, I picked it up. I'll give full credit to my mother on this one. Oh, yeah? I know that as a, as a teenager and even moving into university, you know, she had a lot of patience for me just like doing a whole bunch of different stuff and not really having any direction. Wow. I mean, I went to, I went to Simon Fraser for a little bit in, here in Vancouver, and then I went over and was rowing over in Victoria. I'd moved there, like living with my sister. Like, and she just let it be. Oh, wow. And she, you know, she gave me some boundaries. She's like, you got 50 bucks a week that I'm going to put in your bank account. That's what you have. The apartment I was living in in Victoria, um, her, um, she owned it with my dad. So it was fine. She's like, you don't need to pay any rent. But that was it. That was the only kind of, so I was able to just go languish in my own shit and then have to figure it out. And I knew that she'd be there if like I really took a, a, a you know a, a fall. Yeah. But I can't like I can't imagine letting uh, my daughter or you know potential son do that. Yeah. Just to to be like man, what's be this free. Guy, what is this guy doing? <laughs> like oh my gosh, like is it, where's he going to get his life together? And she'd never said that. 
Wow. And so that to me is is a a good example of, um, in my view, of what conscious parenting can look like. It's got all kinds of different. Yeah. uh, Well, it it shows now too, just sitting with you. I mean, you're a remarkable guy. And in the conversation we're having, I'm so appreciating just this sitting with you and this, um, this like pure wisdom that's coming out, like this, these inherent truths that I think are very easy to forget in the culture we're in right now. But somebody that's intentionally and consciously trying to connect and live from that place is just, it's so inspiring. And there's, there is a freedom to you that I pick up and it's, uh, I mean, it hasn't been a traditional journey for you along the way. No. Uh, yeah. It's and been all over the map. All over the map. And it's just absolutely beautiful to see that it's, uh, it, there's like an artistry to the way that you're living your life. Um, I am so, I wish, you got to come back on. I just want to talk to you for like hours. It's amazing. We'll do it in Winnipeg next time. Come on down. We'd love yeah. to have you there. <laughs> It'd be great. I, uh, I'm curious for people that want to stay in touch, if they have questions, perhaps they want coaching. I, I'm not sure if you're doing that um, privately as well, but uh, where can people find you? I'm a difficult man to find, I will say. Yeah, you so. don't have a website. I don't. <laughs> but uh, you do have a podcast. The, the website's coming. So I'm the host of the Men at Work podcast, Yeah, which you can find at uh, menatworkpodcast.com. Yeah. That's how you can get in touch with me. If uh, websites aren't your thing, you can find me on social media. My handle is re underscore humanizer. Mm. Um, and I don't know if you do show notes, but you could link that up as well. And... The other, the other place to find me is on LinkedIn. So it's Travis Streb. Uh, not super hard. There's only, only one Travis Streb on LinkedIn, so you, you can't miss him. And you can always message me there. I so, love it. I, yeah. I, rehumanizer, just before you go, I'm, I got to ask, what, what, what inspired that? So the idea is behind that is about taking the path that we're on which I believe is, is fine. Like we're going to keep progressing technologically and moving into the future and we can't lose the human element of it. Yeah. And so that's what I bring to my work is the the human component. You were speaking my language. I love it. Yeah. I'm so glad that we have connected. It's just wonderful. It's uh, it was serendipity. I'm just so happy we got the introduction made and that this all came together and that you brought your amazing podcast equipment now i'm gonna to have to go and spend thousands of dollars no. on podcasting stuff it's not that crazy it's he's building this up way bigger than it is hey thanks for being here travis and uh, we'll stay in touch and everybody please go check out his podcast men at work it's really really great it's just getting off the ground and he's just opens up so many new ways of thinking about how to be in the world so thank you for being here thank you keith okay all right everyone well that was travis streb i hope you enjoyed and appreciated all the wisdom that he had to share about leadership about rising up especially men and uh, in the men at work podcast community and also all that wisdom about biking up a mountain down every day and how to pay attention to the smallest things in life that are really important so uh, stay tuned for next week's episode and please keep in touch send me your comments send me your messages your aha moments i am so curious to hear what's going on in your life let's build community together and let's create a really amazing place to live on this planet love on everyone have a great week